Hello and welcome to Divine Enigma, a podcast that talks about how to navigate through the complexities of the workplace as a modern day professional while simultaneously having a side hustle. We appreciate all of our audience members for taking some time out of their day to tune into another episode. I look forward to providing you all with some value through our show today. My name is Sarah and I will be the host for this podcast. This podcast will be available on all platforms where you find podcasts, including Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, and we're also on YouTube. Let's get started. Hi, um, my name's Sarah. Welcome to Divine Enigma. Um, just want to have a, um, a quick special guest here. Um, I think I, because I'm dyslexic, I'm really bad at pronouncing names. And this is a neurodiversity podcast. So I think most of my listeners will be very forgiving. But it's um, Arjuni. Arjuni. I'm really bad. And please, I butchered your name. Please, please, please forgive me because I hate when people butcher people's names. I just feel like I'm not doing it on purpose. Um, so do you mind um, introducing yourself and telling the audience members um, what you do? Um, and um, yeah, a little bit of like a story about your dyslexia. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Arie. Um, and you know, uh, many people have difficulties with it. Uh, so you're definitely not alone with that. And also remembering names also a very, um, yeah, typical struggle for dyslexics, a struggle for myself. Uh, I'm dyslexic, so uh, I can definitely relate to that. Um, so what do I do? I, do? Um, I, I have a channel on the topic of dyslexia on YouTube. Um, and I've reached over 3 million people over there with all kinds of educational content. Um, this basically started when I was doing my MA in uh, education studies, and I wrote about video education for dyslexics. So that's kind of what started this journey. And even before that, I had a, um, a oral exam um, at university, and I wasn't able to find like the correct, uh, like a date that would work for my uh, my professor and myself. And due to that, um, yeah, we were just having trouble. And and I was like, well, I really do not want to write a, another, uh, yeah, homework assignment where I have to write fifty pages to uh, get a grade for this uh, module. So how about I film myself? I already prepared uh, orally what I wanted to say, and I film myself and I sent it in uh, to my professor. And those were actually my first free videos that I uh, that I posted on my channel. And from there, then I uh, yeah I started writing about video education in my in my MA. And um, I since then I have finished that now by a few years but i have just kept going just because of the community and uh, because of um, all the contact that i got from people and at a certain point people started reaching out to me and it's like you know could i do a one-on-one session with you you know could i um could i you know could you tell me what you've learned over these years about your dyslexia and about uh, how it's impacting you 
and also maybe some strategies to figure out procrastination or some people wanted to know if they're dyslexic. So that started happening. And at first I wasn't, I wasn't entirely comfortable with uh, offering that. Um, so in the beginning I had turned some people down because um, yeah, I didn't really feel fully ready for that yet. But after, after a while of people reaching out, I was just thinking, well, you know, uh, if I just keep turning them down, nobody's gonna benefit from that. So, uh, I gave myself a little push and I started doing it. And it was a really great experience. And I've been doing it ever since. So I'm offering coachings for dyslexic adults. And, uh, that actually connects very well to what I've, um, done in university in terms of, uh, of, um, seminars on how to coach and also um how to um how to counsel people effectively so we spoke of rogers in my university and other people in that area so that actually connected very well and uh, i got some guidance from the company from the company of my parents both of them are psychologists so i learned a lot from them and discussed like different theories and different methods with them to help the people that come to me in a more effective manner so yeah that's basically my background um yeah so i understand you have dyslexia um i always ask this question because there are always two kind of um i find with people that have neurodiverse conditions there's always two points in their life where they probably suspect they may have a neurodiverse condition and when they officially get the diagnostic test that they are dyslexic or dyspraxic or whatever neurodiverse condition they have when did you first realize that you were a bit different from everyone else in terms of how you learned or took in information i think that was quite quite early on actually so i was i remember when we just were starting to learn um to read and i was just like sitting in class with this book in these little groups where everybody was supposed to read um it was just gibberish to me so uh that kind of that realization came quite quick and then i had also um the experience of being taken out of class so taken away from all my friends and being um yeah i had to go to a different school um and connecting to people over there was kind of difficult. So, um, yeah, being taken away from your usual environment and popped in into something that's unfamiliar to you. Um, yeah, that, that is, that has happened to me. And from there, you, yeah, you definitely realize that something about you is kind of different. Um, yeah. So I would say that was the first time for me, really. Obviously, you knew that you suspected yourself of having a neurodiverse condition, which was, in your case, you realised was dyslexia. But when did you officially get diagnosed? Because I know I've done the diagnostic test. I remember it so clearly. It was like two hours long. It was like I was doing <laughs> mental like gym gymnastics in my brain. It was really tough. Um, so, like, yeah, tell me your experience. So I was... Um... Yeah, diagnosed in a um, yeah in a yeah in the diagnostic center in Holland back then, and I then also had regular 
schedules with them. So it was like kind of a package deal. So they kind of taught me some fundamentals in uh, or literacy. And um, that is why it wasn't really that distinct for me because that kind of blurred into one big uh, time period where we drove up yeah. to the to next biggest city. And um, there I had these classes, which I absolutely did not like. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's, that is why it wasn't like a distinct moment for me and more like a part time mm-hmm. period where we went to, uh, this place in, in, uh, Arnhem. So that was in Holland. Um, and most thing that I remember from there is that I had to play, uh, memory. So, you know, like find different, different couples. So like, you know, what's here's the duck and here's the duck and you have two, then you have yeah. the match. So memory games we played. That's what I remember from that. Yeah. And do you feel that kind of impacted you like going on from being a child, then going into like further education in terms of like navigating your dyslexia and also trying to like keep on the academic like pathway? Because a lot of the time we don't always see, we don't always assume, not see, but always assume that people who are dyslexic go on to academic pathways. So Mm -hmm. how did you sort of sort of navigate that kind of, that kind of pathway where it's not traditional for generally for people who have dyslexia to go along that path? Mm -hmm. I mean, what happened in Holland was that at the end of the first school, you are uh, having to take a big exam. And that exam then determines uh, where you can go, what school you can, can go to next. And I wasn't really able to read at that point. So these people were measuring all kinds of stuff. Um, but they mainly what they got out of it was like, I cannot read. Not necessarily if I was able to recall the things that were actually uh, required or like tested for. But yeah, so that totally failed. And I wasn't able to go to any school that was uh, enabling me to go to university after in Holland. So we, my parents searched for a while and um, didn't find anything. And then, you know, the decision was made, okay, we're going to Germany and we're not going to say anything about that uh, test that I took initially. Um, Yeah. So we basically kind of lied and that's how I got into the system or into a school where, um, where I then was able to progress to university. And especially my, my first school day definitely did not believe that I belonged there. Uh, they were, yeah, they, they did not like my mom said, okay, he's going to university. And, uh, the teachers were absolutely not convinced of that whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, yeah that is do, kind of, do you know what, when I think about that, I think it's something that I'm, we say in my culture that like you had to do it by fire, by force. That's what they would say, like mm-hmm. by fire, by force. Basically, like it doesn't matter what happens, you're gonna go to university. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so in my in my culture, we say that has it has to happen by fire, by force. Like, <laughs> so yeah. I like that. I love that story. Um, also, I wanted to ask, like, it's interesting you saying that um, a lot of people assume that when you have dyslexia, it's more to do about reading and writing but I, I think it's a lot more than that because I found that even though like um 
I wasn't good at spelling. Um, I had a very good photogenic memory. So what I would do is that when I saw stuff on the board, I would copy it down exactly because I would remember what it looked like because I could visualize it, but then not really understand what I was writing or remember what I was writing at all. But I was able to like copy, almost like copy, I could copy things and like not look at my hands and copy. I don't know how to explain that. It's like, so I would look at things and my writing was really good. So it's almost like I had this, um, my coordination was a bit like very creative in that way because it was a way that I could kind of somehow remember the stuff. But when it came to remembering things or spelling words or putting sentences together, I really didn't do very well in that because Hmm. my spelling and like my memory in terms of like maintaining information, like people would, I would feel really silly because people would know how to comprehend information. I could read a book and still not understand what the book was about. And I'll read it so many times and it just wouldn't comprehend Mm -hmm. in my head because I just didn't understand it. I I later realized I had a a very um, common syndrome that a lot of dyslexic have called, um, it's called Miralind syndrome, where for whatever reason, when I look at black and white on the page, the words jump on the page. So it's like you're looking at a word. You can't see me if you're not looking at the video podcast, but you're looking at a word, it's going across, and then the word would jump. And that's what always used to happen. So it used to, when I used to read, even though I enjoyed reading, I used to get very, very tired reading because the words were jumping on the page. And it's only when I did my, like, um, my dyslexia assessment was that, oh, you need just some kind of color. So some dyslexics, yellow works for them. Sometimes yellow works for me. But the color that works for me the most that stops my eyes from getting stressed so it's basically a form of um, stress on the eyes. It's blue. So once I started putting blue tint on my pages, it was like, oh, my gosh, I can read. <laughs> well, all this time yeah. I was struggling and getting tired and getting headaches because the words were just jumping around the page. Or I would read a word and I'll miss, I would miss the line of the word and I wouldn't understand what I was reading. I don't know whether you can relate with that, but that was a very... Mm dyslexic thing that I didn't know was something that very many dyslexic ha- people have it's not something that everyone has but I knew that it was a typical sign of the reading and writing so it's not necessarily you can't read it's that sometimes reading can cause a lot of stress um on your mm-hmm. eyes when you're trying to read the words <laughs> is there any way yeah. that you can relate to that <laughs> well I most certainly can relate to uh you know yeah. feeling entirely exhausted to yeah. when reading and also reading like to the end of the page and then realizing okay nothing of that page actually entered and you know that's kind of due to the to our struggles of decoding language so we're trying to Mm -hmm. you know decode this 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 word and it takes so much effort that there's not not enough um yeah bandwidth available to then also take the information in so that kind of makes this bottleneck where you you know have you can read you know and it might sound yeah. to somebody else like you read uh properly and it's all good but because this decoding process takes so much effort you don't actually take the information in you're just reading mm. uh so so that is um that is definitely an issue and then with when it comes to the uh, 
to the colors. Like there's actually also been a study around this, and I don't think that they tested blue. But what they did do oh. are some other colors, and what they found was that apparently peach, a peach color, mm. was was the best. The best, and this actually works also for other people who have struggle with different kind of um, uh, neurodivergent conditions, like for example autism. They also have like this uh, sensory sensitivity, um, so they can also benefit from changes like or accommodations of that kind. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's so it's so fascinating. You cut off a little bit, but it's so fascinating that you know all these things kind of connect to some some form of neurodiversity, particularly dyslexia. Because I used to think that was something like wrong with me <laughs> in terms of having dyslexia, but I've learned to embrace that it's like part of who I am, and it makes it's my little quirk that I have, and um, it's what kind of helped me get far in life because of the way that I see the world a little bit differently. I don't know whether you can kind of like relate in terms of like coming to terms with your, your neurodiverse condition, because it took, I think it took me quite a while to, to come to terms with being neurodivergent. I think even now, now that I do this podcast around neurodiversity, I still feel like I had to say this, but sometimes it's like, I still feel like I'm that process of accepting my neurodiversity at times. But I feel like um, it's it is um, something that I've kind of learned to embrace and just know this is who I am and this is how my brain works. And I don't need to compete with anybody else because I feel I used to have to compete with people who are neurotypical where I know very well my brain is not like everyone else. So how can I compete with someone who maybe doesn't have those struggles, those daily struggles in terms of, reading, writing, not necessarily writing, but spelling <laughs> and pronunciation. Um, and actually, like this, uh, they said I had what you call auditory dyslexia, where my I can't hear the sounds properly when I'm trying to read them, so it doesn't, it doesn't connect. So um, I feel like I'm competing with people who don't have these issues. But it's, it's, it's been a journey for, for me, and I always have to, like, check myself and go, you know what, it's okay, I'm dyslexic. I just need to take a bit of time to take in that information. What about yourself? Or you may have been right back in that journey, like you're completely comfortable. <laughs> I mean, look, like, um, I think, first of all, like it's incredibly common, right, uh, that, you know, that you struggle with that. Like I have a lot of people that come to me that, uh, that say, well, you know, um, I just have to do, I should be able to do this. You know, I should be able to do it because everybody else is. Mm. And I have done that for a long time myself. Uh, I've told myself like, you know, like you should be able to read all these articles that you get in university and, you know, just uh, power through and do it. Um, And I didn't use, for example, uh, text to speech just because I, there was this internal expectation that I should be able to do it without. And um, yeah, that, that, that was very or incredibly relieving when I then actually started using it and discovered, okay, wow, I can actually take in so much more information now because I'm accommodating myself. But um, 
yeah, that is that is uh, something that took me. I was at the yeah, probably at the beginning of my MA, so I was like, I think twenty five, twenty six, something like that. Uh, hmm. And only then I started started accommodating myself in that way. Um, and yeah, and just this morning I spoke to another uh, dyslexic person who also uh, has this expectation on himself that he, you know, should be able to just motivate himself like uh, nobody else, uh, like like most people around him, or the impression that other people give uh, that they're able to do that. So. He also has like a very high, um, yeah, a high expectation of himself and struggling with that as well. So that is, uh, that is common. And it's not really fair because we are different and we, we, you know, should accommodate for the things that we struggle with. Basically try to be, you know, a good friend to yourself, like kind of take care of yourself. You know, it's interesting you were talking about talk to text because um, one of the reasons why I felt, I do it now, but one of the reasons why I was so nervous about doing this, particularly when you're in in an environment where you're working in the office or you're with other people, I felt this sense of shame, like I should be able to spell that word. So it was almost like, and also feeling like I was a bit, like people look at me weird because I'm, talking to text but then I should also try to like I, I, I don't I, it depends how you view yourself as a neurodiverse person some view it as a disability some view it as a difference um but if I was to view it in the in the sense as a disability you wouldn't look at someone funny if they were in a wheelchair like you wouldn't do that like not in this day mm. and age if someone hasn't got their legs are not working properly you know, you're not going to look at them. Oh, how, why are you using the wheelchair? So it's the same way that like the way that you're, someone has to use talk to text so that they can write an email or write an essay or do a blog or whatever it is they're trying to do. That shouldn't make you feel like, I don't know, weird or off, off because you're using something that is an aid to help you be better at what you do. But I don't know how you view it because some, some, dyslexics don't see themselves as disabled some just see themselves as a different some are happy to see themselves as disabled how, how do you view that well um <laughs> that's kind of a hot topic uh, yeah. i for a long time i kind of felt like you know like there are i just would describe it as like different social skills right a social mm. skill would be, for example, to cook. And a social skill would maybe to be, um, or cultural skills, not social skills, cultural skills. So mm-hmm. cooking is one. Also, um, reading, writing, of course, but, um, also, um, you know, what else would you have? Sports would be one. And we, you know, we say that you're disabled when you cannot read and write. But if you cannot cook or can are very, you know, have these other things that are also cultural skills, then mm. uh, you're not this culinarily or something like that. So there there is something uh, to that that uh, that always kind of appealed to me to basically see it in a different way and see it 
not as a disability, but at the same time, um, it is also, it puts barriers in, it has put a lot of barriers in my, in my way. And, um, ignoring these barriers or denying that these barriers exist also doesn't really bring me anywhere. Um, so in that sense, um, yeah, I believe that, um, it would be good to maybe also have some acceptance towards it. And maybe, maybe these terms can also be used in different contexts, you know, like if you're lobbying for, uh, supporting your children, you know, you're talking about, you know, they have a, um, a disability and, uh, you, the school need to accommodate these children with these differences. Um, so then the use of that word is really useful. Now, when you're, when I'm talking about myself, um, yeah, I often talked about a learning difference, um, you know, because we see that the brain actually, the brain activation is different when we read, for example. So that, that was always kind of appealing to me, but at the same time, we don't really learn differently, like the, the same methods for people that, you know, for people that have a, um, um, like, for example, are diagnosed with dyslexia also mm. work for poor readers who are not diagnosed. So with a good method, you will bring um, dyslexics further along and also non-dyslexics. So all of us benefit from uh, well-working uh, evidence-based strategies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also wanted to make a comment on something that I wanted to really talk to you about, actually. It was about a recent YouTube video that you put up about this whole concept of people seeing dyslexia and even some neurodiversities as superpowers and actually mm -hmm. people should see them for what they are. Now, I'm not saying that as much as there's strength in having a neurodiverse condition, uh, we have we have to also be quite, um, I guess, realistic, I guess, and truthful about the fact that people who ha are neurodiverse, people who have things like dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, I can never say that word. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny that we have all these like neurodiverse terms and they're just so difficult to pronounce in your dyslexic. Yes. But anyway... <laughs> But like when you have all these different types of neurodiverse conditions, and these are some of the ones I've just mentioned, um, a lot of people like to say, oh, you, you've got a superpower. And it's good to have that positive mindset. Um, but also we have to be careful on the borderline of being um, the sort of toxic positivity, because we have to also kind of, you know, call it for what it really is you know there is a there's a there's a struggle there someone is dealing with something on a day-to-day -day basis it's not mm. within their control and as much as we can say yes yeah, superpower just for others to feel empowered how how, how what is your stance on it because I found your video very interesting in terms mm -hmm. of how people should really view you know dyslexia for what it is yeah so I you know I've been thinking about making this video for years. So I've been trying to figure out and thinking about and being hesitant about this actually for a while. Um, because I feel like it's a, a sensitive topic 
And yeah. because I felt like um, um, it's controversial. So that's also, yeah, it made me hesitant. But at the same time, what was what I did not like was that from my research during my MA, I knew that there are different meta studies that all uh, found that overall we do not see a a special advantage in certain area. And at the same time, we have books that are published by people that supposedly are academic uh, that yeah state the opposite, and and that that bugged me. Uh, I did not. Uh, yeah, I didn't like it, but at the same time, you know, some people also really get um, get a lot out of this kind of reframing. Um, at the same time, you know, if you if you if you see the information that we take in uh, as a sort of map that is created by all of this information, and if that information then is faulty, then you start running into things and you bump into reality in ways that are really uncomfortable. So I think, um, yeah, I, I believe I also had a responsibility to tell people uh, the full story and uh, the what we have in terms of research. Um, and that is not a lot. I, I, I truly wish that that would be more. And I'm still hoping that people will find like researchers will find some kind of abilities because, you know, if there's a group of people that I would like to tell, you know, positive news to, then it's basically the, the, the dyslexic community. Um, but as of now, we haven't found a lot. Um, there are some, some studies that say, well, you know, we have, we are faster in identifying, um, 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 impossible objects. That is one. Um, then there are another few where it's like, I made a video a while ago about a paper folding test. So basically you fold a piece of paper and you punch holes into it and then you unfold it and you need to identify the right pattern when the paper is unfolded. And we saw that dyslexics apparently do a better job at this as well. But at the same time, there are a lot, a lot of studies that claim that there are none or that haven't found any and um yeah that is that is difficult and the problem with telling people that they're especially gifted or telling them that uh you know you have a superpower i believe mm -hmm. is that they you know they're struggling you know they're, they're having a hard time and um they might not feel seen in their struggles when you put it that way you know, it's like, okay, I, I tell you I'm struggling, I have a hard time, and you tell me I have a superpower. It's like, are you listening to me? You know, it's like, that is that is kind of the, the, the feeling that I got also from a lot of people in the uh, in the comment section, as and some of you of of them uh, even called it toxic, toxic positivity, positivity, you know, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's, it, it can be frustrating because some people who are dyslexic might say, "Oh, well, I'm good at starting a business," but then some dyslexics can't start a business. They're not entrepreneurs. Um, mm -hmm. They they find easy, easier working in a job nine to five with a structure, you know. But then if you look into it, people say, "Well, there's all these amazing." dyslexics who are entrepreneurs so you know you can be successful like that and they're like well, well I'm not like that and then it can make you feel like 
well, if I'm not doing that, maybe there's something wrong with me even more. And then you start kind of deeply criticizing yourself because you're not the, you know, the ideal dyslexic or, or yeah. the ideal, you know, neurodivergent. Just like, you know, um, we, when we think of autism, we think of Rayman who, you know, could, mm-hmm. who's super clever as, as savants, but autism, autism in itself is a spectrum. So you can't just say every autistic person is like Rayman you know, mm-hmm. which, which is, um, which is not really fair. Um, I also wanted to kind of, um, kind of move into or kind of, um, talk about mental health issues and, um, new and neurodiversity mm-hmm. and dyslexia and how those two things are sort of interlinked. Um, cause, um, I've been doing lots of research recently about, um, are the, yeah, it's called RSD. Yeah which mm-hmm. is rejection sensitivity dysphoria um and it's very much linked to people who also have sort of neurodiverse conditions as well as dyslexia and it's i would say it's in the lines of sort of mental health a mental health issue where um you will start feeling like if you if something hasn't gone well for you you will start beating up yourself you'll start questioning yourself you go into really like a really dark place because you've been rejected but it's very very extreme so we all feel like a sense of uh i feel like i've been rejected but when you have re- rejection sensitivity dysphoria it really can mess your whole day up and, and <laughs> you can't function in the same way um what what are your thoughts around around that well um you know like there are i think you know we all share like a similar pattern in childhood or like there is a a signature pattern that we have in childhood and based on that um you know we all respond a little bit different to it but um you see things like uh, perfectionism develop and also um, procrastination, um, you know, the feeling like you need to give 120% uh, to succeed or and through that then also issues with burnout. So there are these things that uh, develop and they they often stem from from a childhood experience and lessons that we learned in childhood. So if you look at the typical childhood experience, you see that um, that parents and teachers worry about the performance. They create a lot of pressure and there's a lot of negative reinforcement happening. Um, also, when you look at, for example, even physical abuse, it tends to be way more common with dyslexics. Um, and due to that, you react differently towards your environment. You might say, okay, you know, I'm going to distance myself from people a little bit. Or, um, or you, you go a different kind of way. But if this negative reinforcement tends to, um, re and re and reoccur, the subject matter itself. So tasks that have to do with reading and writing, tasks that have to do maybe with, you know, doing tax reports or, sending uh making a money transfer you know they are connected to uh to a area that is kind of created to shame or some kind of anxiety and um, that then leads to blockades and you know all kinds of of things and um they tend to um yeah stand in the way 
And maybe, you know, maybe our, our situation is, or often actually, our situation is entirely different now as adults, but where we tend to act on uh, things that we learned in childhood. And that might be the reason why why we don't not we why we do not take this leap or why we do not take the step forward that we should be taking. Yeah, I I I can agree with that because when I think about some of the situations I've been in, like for example, there were times where because I was so like worried about not being the best or being perfect, like this sort of perfectionism, I would um like I had, I remember I had a job interview. This this was years ago, and because I couldn't find how to get there, because I was not very good at directions, I used to always get lost, and I was actually late for the interview as well. I ended up not going. It was for a really good job that I wanted, but because of my, I guess probably imposter syndrome, because I felt that I had messed up by coming late, and also the fact that you know I couldn't I couldn't find the place, and my dyslexia had affected me from not not knowing where the direction is even though I had like I don't even know how I had maps or something at the time and even though I was using Google Maps like I still wasn't finding the place <laughs> so in the end I just gave up and it's just sometimes yeah that 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 can you can start feeling like I've like before they even reject me let me not even go there that kind of thing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and there are things that you, you know, that you can do about it. You can, you know, for example, ask yourself, like, you know, what, what level of imperfection am I willing to tolerate? You know, you can ask yourself, like, you know, will this matter in a week, a month or a year? You know, and often then you realize, okay, maybe, maybe not. You know, another way would be to, you know, slowly desensitize yourself. You can make, um, uh, you know, a hierarchy of the things that you're, that you tend to be perfectionistic about. And uh, then you rank them according to what you believe needs to be the most perfect, you know, and then you can slowly start to desensitize yourself by waking, by working yourself up, uh, working up the, the list from least uh, uh, necessary to perfect to most necessary to perfect and that way you can uh, yeah, slowly desensitize yourself and uh, get to um, yeah change a little bit of that but often there are also these are habits that are learned over a long period of time and um, yeah it might be not an easy task at the same time mm, no it's not <laughs> it's not always yeah. easy it takes time to kind of get yourself to feel like you know, you don't have to beat yourself up about not having everything the way you want it to be. And I think it's a lot, a, a lifelong journey. It's something that you have to work on probably daily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to talk more about your sort of your coaching plans and how that could be of support to someone who wanted to, you know, get coaching, get coached for their dyslexia. Would that be from an academic perspective or maybe even just how to manage that in the workplace. I can kind of, I can talk at this, mm -hmm. but you can talk about that, that, you know, mm -hmm. how can people kind of learn to manage their dyslexia from an academic perspective? So like doing exams, it actually might be quite useful actually, because sometimes within workplaces, you might be put on courses or professional qualifications you have to do, which require you to remember 
a, like a, a lot of information. I remember I had to do a couple of exams because I did a professional qualification at work. And it was very tough for me because of my dyslexia and me having to spend, a, I know spending at least two hours a day, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, trying to remember all of the stuff and then trying to discipline myself to do that as well. So, yeah, I, I want to kind of get pick your brain on that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So basically when it comes to my the coachings that I do, um, I often – well, I, I tend to tailor it to the person that comes to me. Um, they often come with specific questions and then we focus on that. Um, but in general, I believe that it's important to get a good understanding of what has happened to us in our childhood. Because if you don't understand really what, what happened to you, then the future seems more scary because you might you think, okay, this might happen to me again. Um, mm. but if that is clear what happened then, then you can adjust and learn from the past. And, you know, there might be less, uh, anxiety connected to new things that you're doing if you have understand that thoroughly and, um, yeah, gone through that understanding. And some people, you know, even by just having a diagnosis, um, they feel like, okay, now, now I understand why I struggled in such a severe way. And um, now I also understand that I do not need to put these expectations on myself uh, that everybody else puts on themselves or that neurotypical people would be putting on themselves. <laughs> yeah. So that is, that is, yeah. From, from a career perspective and probably a business perspective, um, from a career perspective, it's always good that when you enter a workplace, um, you need to make sure that your employer is aware of the way that you work and that they can make the appropriate adjustments for you in your workplace. And sometimes it can be quite hard. It depends on the work environment you work in. Um, but the first port of call, I would always say, is look for a neurodiverse, friendly employer that understands your, that has a good understanding of neurodiverse conditions. So I can't really, I work within, I'm very good in terms of neuroinclusivity. They completely understand, you know, what it's like um, to make reasonable adjustments for people who have dyslexia or ADHD or any form of neurodiverse condition and ensure that they have, the correct equipment they can do their job they also offer things like like your employer you know if they're they, you can apply for um access to work through your employer and the employer can then give things like you know adjustments to the type of table so if you need a standing table because you're someone who needs to stand up when you're like on your laptop they can provide that for you or certain seating um um, talk to text installed onto your laptop for installation to that where you're reading like documents because I'm a project manager there's a lot of documentation I have to read and requirements I need to understand and sometimes it can be a lot so by having things like um, like a software which can read you know the text to me it makes it so much easier for me to take that information in um, and there's there's all these adjustments that can be done and those are just like allowing you that extra time. So I know obviously with 
the academic process. I remember when I got diagnosed with dyslexia, they gave me extra time so that I can do my exam because the time that was given was not sufficed for me. So I needed that time to kind of process that information so that I wouldn't, I were able to remember what I had learned. Um, yeah. And things like that. I know there was another person that I spoke to previously on, on the podcast. She had an, um, a reader. So basically during her exam, someone actually read the questions to her so that she could wow. answer it because she couldn't read the questions. And for whatever reason, that helped her pass the exam. So sometimes there's things that can be done to make things easier for you. You just you just need to find an employer that could be accommodating for that. And they really should be accommodating to that because you have a lot to offer the workplace. It's just that you have something, you're, you're different. And a lot of people might try to make you feel like you're inconvenienced or you're, you know, with this. But if you're happy to work with someone like that, don't, don't work for them. Go somewhere else that will really embrace your new diverse condition and see the value you bring to the workplace because I've been in situations where I've gone to employers and they're just like oh this is a, like, this is an irritation to have this person here don't work there you need to work for an employer that is inclusive and they understand your neurodiverse condition because you have a lot to offer um but it's, it, it is like um the self-esteem of a lot of neurodiverse people because they've had that rejection or felt that sense of fear of not telling people that oh I have a neurodiverse condition now I have to let people know what's you know what's going on so yeah it's it's a case of doing that and even in the UK we have um, access to work for people that are self-employed work for themselves where they can you can apply for like an assistant or a PA that the um, access to work will give you to help you manage your workload or manage your emails or manage things that you need within your job because of maybe you have ADHD, dyslexia or whatever disability you have. So I feel like that's why I used to say learn the difference, but sometimes I'm actually as comfortable with the term disabled because um, with the disability, it, 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 people recognise it and they can see that you get help, the help and the help that you need to enable you to do your job well. Don't see it as a hindrance, see it as an aid that you can do your job better. Because I know even... I know most neurodiverse people that I come across probably work a lot harder than people that are neurotypical because mm. they have to work harder because their brain's working harder, you know, to get stuff done. So um, that's what I would say from that perspective in terms of work and career from a UK perspective. But yeah, any employer that is going to be somewhat funny about your neurodiverse condition is better not to work there. That's what that's the experience I've had anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, disclosure in general, very good thing. I, I always mm-hmm. uh, advocate for that. Um, just be not 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 for your employer, just for yourself. Yeah. You know, you, you you want to feel like you're not hiding it. Like if you're if you're if you are not telling them, you know, you're you're telling your subconscious, well, this is something that is apparently not okay, and mm. it needs to be hidden. And if it's something that needs to be hidden, then um, there's shame that develops around that. Mm. Um, and that then we're back at the uh, at the mental health side of things. Yeah. And it's very difficult. But, you know, I I also had clients and they said, like, well, it's, he's 
he's over 30 and 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 he was talking to me and he's like well you're the first person that i told this to that this is something that i'm dealing with um and it is it is absolutely not um you know not not some well how would you say that um it's not um yeah, not an easy thing to do. It can be very, uh, there can be a lot of hesitance around this, uh, disclosing it. And I think it's, it's very important to do it anyway, to take that step and, uh, maybe to go to a friend and, um, uh, show this part of you to somebody else to move it away out of the, out of the whole shame development, uh, bubble. Where it's in when it's hidden and into a space where, um, where you can start to feel more comfortable with it. I think yeah. a lot of people do f- sometimes feel shame over having dyslexia. And the reason where the shame comes from is from the fact that it holds a lot of stigma in some places and some, in some rooms, they just see you, oh, you've got dyslexia. And that's where the shame probably comes from because of the stigma. But I think the, if more people are just open about it and just say, look, I have dyslexia, I have whatever ADHD, I have whatever the neurodiverse condition you have and just say what they have, I feel that will then kind of alleviate stigma so much more um, than if people are hiding it. But it is hard sometimes depending on, you know, the environment you're in and, you know, how, how some people kind of question, how would my employer feel knowing that I have this, you know? So it really, Mm -hmm. it really, I think it's always, I think it's always, you have to find the best way to kind of reveal that. And I think when you do reveal it, try and reveal it as soon as possible. Like don't, don't hold back from it. Um, Yeah. Just say that I have, I have this, this condition and that's, that's it. And Will you continue to accept me as an employer? Because I'm, I'm producing the work, but I just have this condition, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it can be hard. And also as well, sometimes within friendship groups and family and things like that, I was having a conversation with another a lady about dating and meeting people. And um, she said that um, she has dyslexia and dyspraxia um, and when she used to go on dates, she used to be very like wary about telling people that she had dyspraxia and dyslexia. Um, and I think she had went on a date and she was in a restaurant and she accidentally knocked something because of her dyspraxia, but not because she meant to. And then the way the guy reacted was oh, like with irritation. And she always said to herself, that person is not for me because I need somebody that just gets me for my you know, my quirks and this is how I am. But sometimes it can be very hard that you're meeting somebody and telling them that you have a neurodiverse condition and how they react. What are your kind of like, I, you know, how you view that as well? Because I know it can be like, it can be hard because even that whole world, that world of going into dating, it can be quite um, difficult because you're slowly revealing yourself to somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I well, in terms of dating, I'm not 100 percent sure. But in terms yeah. of uh, when we go one step back, uh, maybe also in the business uh, business world and jobs, um, you know, like 
since we are different, um, there is something that is foreign about us to other people. Mm-hmm. And um, this, um, this difference is kind of questioning their own uh, being in a way. So like if I do, if I am doing things in a drastically different way than the other person, then the other person will ask him or herself, am I doing something wrong? So there, mm. there is some something about our difference that is that is um, that is yeah that is questioning if if what others are doing is right or mm. if what we are doing is right or wrong. So so from that, if people can tolerate the difference, then then that is uh, that is going to work. But one way we can help other people to be more tolerant about our difference is to um, explain to them not only, or tell them not only that we're dyslexic, but also this means, for example, that I will send you a lot of voice messages. This means that, you know, I will uh, talk to my phone recently and, or in during work. And it doesn't mean that I'm not working. It just means that I need to write some kind of word that I am not able to write otherwise because my spell check doesn't, um, realize what I'm writing, even if I'm trying it multiple different ways. So mm. if you if you explain to them what your difference entails and how how that will affect uh, you know the working relationship, then um, then I feel like people can be more accepting about your difference because it demystifies it a little bit. Yeah, I think it's more about understanding not that everyone's. I think it's understanding this mm, the to being open to difference rather than just the the um, societal norms, I guess. Because I think when you go to the a workplace that is very neurotypical and the expectation is for you to act neurotypical, to bring someone that's neurodiverse in the mix, it's about people having these misconceptions and understandings of what they view dyslexia to be. Some mm-hmm. people still hold those misconceptions even today. So when you go to a workplace, although you might say, I have dyslexia, the worry is that with some dyslexia is how would this person perceive me now that I, I've told them I have this condition? Will they perceive my capability? Will they feel that I'm not competent at doing this job anymore? because of the fact mm-hmm. I, I've now revealed this part of myself. And that shouldn't be like the issue, but sometimes with people's perceptions and their preconceived notions of what they view like a dyslexic person to be are a bit outdated. And mm-hmm. it's about educating people about what it means to be dyslexic. It doesn't mean you can't do your job. It doesn't mean you're not um, able to do your job effectively. It just the way you do your job is different it's not the way everyone else will do it so it's, I think it's about opening those I guess I I people be more open to the idea of that it, not everyone does everything the same way if that makes sense <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's 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 yeah it's I think there are there's still I mean a lot of barriers have been broken over time but I think there's still a way to go I really do 
I feel there is a long way to go in terms of acceptance of dyslexia um, and neurodiverse conditions in, in workplaces. There are companies, big corporate companies that are you know, very inclusive, but like I've had examples of where a workplace will have something in their HR process, which means we are an inclusive employer. We will take people on from all different diverse backgrounds. But when it comes to the, I guess, the the implementation of it, so in practice, the employer, so the line manager that is managing that neurodiverse person doesn't know how to manage them. And so it becomes problematic, even though they haven't really kind of put things in place to make sure that person is truly supported at work so they can do their job well. So it, 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 there are changes, but I feel there's a lot of lessons that people have to learn just based mm-hmm. on like experience and like seeing people that have gone to workplaces, reveal they have dyslexia or reveal they've had a neurodiverse condition. And then the employer says, oh, you know, we are, we, 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 except people that are diverse, we accept people with disabilities. And, but then the things that the, the things that should be implemented are not implemented fully, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, the knowledge needs to be there, how to do that. Right. And yeah. uh, that I believe is often just not the case. It's like, you know, how, how do we like somebody who doesn't have anything to do with dyslexia probably mm. or is not going to know how to how to help you you know it's like, mm. and then i think it comes strongly goes back to the fact like do you know how to help yourself and uh, do you think do you know the things that tend to work for you like how can you make um suggestions that could help you in your work you know maybe Maybe you want to schedule an appointment with your boss where, you know, you go over some of the things that are happening um, just to make sure that you don't stand, constantly have that feeling that you're going to be fired soon because you feel like, you know, I'm doing something wrong, you know, um, to have that assurance from that employer that says, okay, you know, um, from my side, everything is okay, can be helpful. You know, another thing that I've been doing at work is like, um, I've been asking more for deadlines because uh, mm. having a deadline also means that my yeah. uh, procrastination uh, mind <laughs> is, uh, is yeah, having something. It's forced to like, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I yeah. get it. <laughs> you, yeah. You need to do um, that now. I'm, I'm, I'm the biggest, I'm the biggest procrastinator. And if I have someone just, just having someone over me saying, you've got to get this done now, Sarah, it, it helps. <laughs> it really does help yeah. because and then it forces me to be kind of disciplined in achieving the goals that I want to achieve. But yeah, it's, it, 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 it is a, a thing that, um, managers yeah. particularly who have employees who are neurodiverse have to really learn as well and then also for us to learn how to advocate for ourselves as well um understanding how, yeah like you said understanding your your dyslexia what works for you and you having those conversations and say look i this is how i work best can that be accommodated i need you to set me deadlines so that i can do my job effectively those kind of things will ensure that you're getting the most you know out of me not that mm-hmm. I'm an inconvenience to you. You're getting the most out of me by you just doing this. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. <laughs> yeah, those those things can certainly help. Also, like automating things, you know, like um, mm-hmm. when we look at executive functioning, time management is an issue. Uh, you know, getting to appointments. I missed one appointment with you. You know, pointing uh, <laughs> pointing point case. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. so it happened to both of us. Um, yeah. So we're very well aware. And um, what I've seen, what I've done since is um, I have connected, like I have a scheduling uh, tool that I use. It's called um, Calendly, and oh, um, yeah, yeah. I connected it to my um, to my calendar now. So every time I get an appointment, it's automatically added to the calendar. So this is like this point of or this automation that is like, oh my god, thank God, you know, because <laughs> I. I think I I put it in my calendar, or I thought, well, I do this later. And um, since we all, since our short term, or no, not short term, but working memory is affected mm. as dyslexics, we tend to forget, and then it's not in our calendar. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, we both we both um, had that issue trying to meet, and I was like, oh, like for, I don't know what happened to me, but I feel like. I knew that I was supposed to meet you. And in my head, I was like, I swear it's one thirty. Like, no, it's one o'clock. And I was like, oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I went, yeah, yeah, go. And that then connects also again to the emotional side of things. You know, we, mm-hmm. we tend to, um, the feelings that we're feeling tend to be a little more intense. And um, and in situations like that, where you miss an appointment, then that flares up, you know, and you're beating yourself up about it. Again, mm-hmm. you're back to the standards that you're that you enforce on yourself. Like I should be able to do this. This should not happen to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, then we're back to managing emotions and the emotional side of it, and um, saying, hey. Um, last time you forgot an appointment like this, you know, did they throw you out or, you know, did something catastrophe? No, how do you say that? Uh, Catastrophize, is that it? Yeah, did you, or no, did something really oh. bad happen? Did, did something really <laughs> bad happen? So, uh, and yeah. if not, you know, you might readjust some of your thoughts or, yeah. you know, um, you might also ask yourself, you know, did this, um, like, you know, will this matter in like uh, a week, a month, or a year from now? You know, and things like that might help you to reframe some of the negative thoughts that you're having. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of um, move into a potential workshop that we be you will be doing together. Um, I haven't got a date set, but I want us to we'll get a date set for you in the podcast <laughs> where we're going to be doing a workshop um, around how to manage your dyslexia um, mm-hmm. and what what, uh, what are the best methodologies that you can use to ensure that you're managing it effectively, either at work, school, college, or any kind of environment where you're going to be under a little bit of stress, but not to allow your dyslexia to stress you out. So we want to do a workshop. What I will do is once I've got a date um, for the workshop, 
I'll put it in the show notes and on my website, I will have a landing page for you to sign up. Um, I believe we we don't want it to have too, too many people on it, but it will get filled up quite quickly. And I want it to be quite an intimate um, uh, workshop where we can really support people who are really struggling with how to manage the dyslexia um, around work, the, the jobs, um, the career, even in the business, so they can not allow it to overwhelm them or get them stressed. So uh, we will share that with you. What are you? What are your thoughts on that? Because I, I, I'm looking forward to a workshop. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've I've been you know giving lectures on university, teaching teachers, those kind of things. But um, in terms of you know, working with dyslexics individually, um, I normally have that done on a one-on-one basis. So I would be very excited to, you know, do a group and, uh, you know, see what people uh, think of it and how the response is. So, yeah, very excited about it. And do you want to give a little taste of what may, like, you know, you have your one-to-one. Do you want to give us a little bit of a taste mm-hmm. of before we, like, of what the workshop might entail so that people can kind of have an idea what they were really expected? So generally speaking, um, you know, managing negative emotions around dyslexia, um, that is a, yeah, one building block, um, you know, looking at executive functioning. So, um, yeah, also the emotional side that is connected to that and um, understanding your past to, you know, create the security that you need for your future. So that is that is basically from my side. I love it and I will kind of I will go into my membership as well as well as how you can navigate um the complexity of dealing with dyslexia or any form of neurodiversity condition particularly ADHD and dyslexia um managing the business and also how to navigate around your career and getting those promotions getting those really important meetings with your manager and how they can make the adaptations for you but also you showing that you're an asset to the workplace so I'll go into more detail about that on the workshop as well so um Mm. yeah any sort of final thoughts around you know um dyslexia Mm. how did you find this episode (laughs) because I was enjoying it but I hope you've enjoyed it as well but any final thoughts I mean, you know, generally enjoyed it as well. And um, yeah, you know, people people enjoy listening to it and that they uh, get something out of it is always, it's a very different format for me. I haven't really mm-hmm. done this before. So uh, it's interesting. And uh, yeah. So if anyone's listening out here with dyslexia and they're struggling with their dyslexia, they're just at, the, uh, the end of the road they don't know what to do what what would you advice would you give to them well you can always uh just go to my youtube channel and on there in every video you will find the link to my website and there you can sign up for a one-on-one session with me and um, you know the first one will be free will be on me so you can walk away with all the information that you that you need from that um, so that I get you started. And if you really enjoy it and you know that it's something for you, um, then we can move on to uh, regular sessions. But this first one, uh, yeah, I encourage you to just try it out. And what's the name of your YouTube channel so that the audience members know? 
So that would be my name. So it would be Arie Eike de Haas. Um, so, but if you type in dyslexia test, then you will see my face pop up. I'm, I'm one of the first uh, that will come up and uh, that way you will find me definitely. I'll put your details in the show notes as well. So um, those who are looking for that support can also come into the show notes and book um, a session with you for an hour and even more so they can get a lot mm-hmm. of support around their dyslexia. So thank you so much for coming on the Divine Enigma podcast. Um, I really, really am honoured that you came on my podcast. I'm so like honoured that you came on, on here and I'm really hoping that I can help so many people with all kinds of neurodiverse conditions as I continue to put this podcast out, um, feel empowered and um, not ashamed, but um, but feel like they can, they as, as well as the positives of having their neurodiverse condition, also accept the negatives and know that those negatives do not define them, but actually mm-hmm. allow them to um, really progress in whatever area or reading they are just like somebody who has a who's neurotypical they may have negatives or things that are not great about themselves but they can still thrive and it's just about giving like neurodiverse voices like um yeah they're 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 rain <laughs> on this mm. podcast so yeah thank you so much you're welcome i want to let our audience members know about the six-week coaching program that i'll be offering people who are neurodivergent or who are neurotypical who want to improve their career prospects in general or to those who just want to get into project management also i have just launched my membership platform neuroenigma um, it's an amazing platform where you can get access to a very supportive community, all the resources you need to manage your ADHD and or dyslexia. And also we have health and well-being days. We also have unlimited body doubling sessions. So I'll put the details of the membership in the description um, bar below. Also, if you're the first five people to join the membership on a yearly um yeah on a yearly basis <clears throat> you will get access to a free sad lamp um sad lamps are used particularly for mental health and well-being and if you are disturbed by the the weather so if you're having very short um days and long nights a sad lamp will really help you with your mental health and well-being um i'm also offering support to people who want to pass the prince 2 practitioner exam as i've taken the exam and i failed a few times i'll definitely will be doing a blog a blog post of me failing my prince 2 practitioner exam but i just want to go to show you that despite the fact being a neurodivergent i continue to have resilience and i also want my audience members like you to continue to have resilience so if this sounds like you and you like to learn more please reach out to me directly after um listening to this outro (laughs) and all of my handles are in the description box my email is hello at divineenigma.org so it's all there for you to contact me So like I always like to say, please follow me on all platforms where you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Divine Enigma. 
And if you got to the end, this is a safe place for project managers, professionals, side hustlers, business owners um, to give you the tools and tips on how to navigate the complexity of being neurodiverse in the workplace. I will see you soon and take care. Bye.